Thank you for joining us today on Positively Charged Biz. We are here to motivate, inspire, and support our listeners as they write their life stories. We are a proud founding member of the Real Disrupt Podcast Collaborative, and you can check out more awesome podcasts at realdisrupt.com. Hey everyone, I hope you are having a positive and productive day. On today's show, we are joined by an amazing lady who is going to help us understand that we can be okay with who we are and still be successful in our personal and professional lives. Allow me to introduce you all to Kathleen, Dr. Kathleen Smith. She is a licensed therapist and the author of the new book, Everything Isn't Terrible, Conquer Your Insecurities, Interrupt Your Anxiety, and Finally Calm Down. A graduate of Harvard University and George Washington University, she's written for popular websites like New York Magazine, Lifehacker, Everyday Health, Psychology Today, Counseling Today, and many other. Interviews with Kathleen have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Women's Health Magazine, Women's World Magazine, and television programs, including Good Morning Washington. Kathleen writes a free weekly therapy newsletter on managing anxiety called The Anxious Overachiever. Kathleen, we are thrilled that you are here with us today. And on Positively Charged Biz, we like to start at the beginning. So please tell us. Why did you decide to focus on helping the anxious overachiever? Well, you know, first of all, I live in Washington, D.C., which is full of, first of all, full of anxious people and full of overachievers. So uh, business-wise, it's it's a smart decision, I think. <laughs> you, uh, were, you were focusing in on your market, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I looked around and said, what's, you know, what, what are the people who are around me and what are their problems? And I found that they were very similar to my own, fortunately. Um, because, you know, I grew up being an overachiever, you know, I was so fueled by getting praise from my teachers in school or doing well in school. You know, I, I did very well. I was the first person in my hometown to ever get into Harvard and I got there and I couldn't be the best anymore. And right. I had to look around and go, okay, well, I've got to find some other way to get validation and to, to think about who I want to be because that's not always an option. <laughs> and so, you know, my, you know, my journey of growing up and calming down, and I'm still very much on it, is to figure out how to be driven by the inside out and not how mm. to be driven by achieving or getting praise or approval from other people. And that's that's a really hard thing to do, I think, for a lot of us. I think that's a very difficult thing. So don't leave us hanging there. We <laughs> want you to keep going because believe me, you know, we're in the mortgage industry and we're literally told every single day, you're only as good as your last deal. Like literally we are driven by that excitement of bringing those families home, which is a, a true honor and a privilege of what we get to do every day and make a difference in people's lives. But you're always chasing. You're chasing that next family that you're going to help. You're chasing that deadline. You know, you have to close by the end of the month. Or you have, you know, this family has nowhere to live. You have to get this done. So we're always chasing that fulfillment. So now tell us, go backwards, where you said it has to start from the inside out. 
after being conditioned that way from when we're a child, like you mentioned, okay, in school, you're getting good grades or you're in sports and you're winning, you know, so we're conditioned right from when we're children that you're always looking for that praise. So how do you start to work on the inside? Yeah, you know, I think it's such a part of the culture, like you say, that people are supposed to operate like businesses. And that's an unachievable task in my mind, you know, because we're going to have life events, you know, and things that disrupt our our achieving, or we're just going to have bad years or years where we're not as productive because of life events or things out of our control, right? And so, you know, I think you, there's nothing wrong with feeling more confident, feeling capable, feeling happy because you're making things happen and you're being successful in your work, but you have to have other things that prop up your sense of self than just getting confidence and calmness uh, from, from your career or from that external stuff, right? Because if you don't, your, your life is going to be a roller coaster. You're going to have highs when you're doing well. And then the lows are going to be really steep and really hard. Um, you know, so people have got to have a good sense of, of what they believe, what they value, um, that isn't, uh, you know, outside of their control. It's something that they can actually focus on and make happen. Um, and you know, so much of our work is out of our control. It is dependent on variables, um, that are just outside us. So what would an example of that be? Okay. So, so give me an example of, of what we should make sure is intertwined into our lives. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think about, um, you know, to give my own work for an example, you know, you could evaluate my work by how many therapy clients I have, right? Or how how long my wait list is or um, what I charge people or things like that, right? Um, but I can also evaluate my work by how I treat other people, how I treat myself. Um, what are the the guiding ideas and principles that I use to do the work, right? And those are all things that I can control. So that at the end of the day, maybe if I'm, I don't have as many clients or I'm not as busy as I maybe was in a period, a previous period of time, I can look and say, you know what? I showed up. I treated people the way I, I think they should be treated. I did good thinking. Um, you know, I was kind of performing my best in that way because that was, those were the variables I could control. I was sort of embodying my, my idea of what it is to be my best self. And if I can stay focused on that, then A, I'm probably going to have some successes but B, on the uh, the days of the weeks where things aren't where I would like them to be, my mood's not going to crash. Um, I'm not going to feel hopeless or be self-critical, right? And and that helps me, you know, continue to do well. Um, so I think it, it is, it's not that you don't value achieving. It's just that you're more strategic and you say, you know what, if I invest in myself and my own thoughts and beliefs, it's actually going to be the, the best for me in the long run. I love that. And that and that's great. And it's interesting. I, I recently attended a, a virtual mastermind that I was part of. And people were writing comments constantly saying, I'm new to this. You know, what are the secrets of success? You know, what how do I build my pipeline? How do I grow my business? And a lot of what you just said, it's interesting that a lot of the people that spoke and they were wonderful women, part of my women's mortgage network, a lot of them that spoke, they said, Well, it's all about planting those seeds. And a lot of what you just said, it's the taking the time to develop those relationships. 
It's doing business the way that you want to do business, right? That it's not necessarily selling someone or it's not necessarily going after it that way. It's really truly taking care of them. And that's part of what you were just saying. Even if you're not necessarily achieving that plateau at that moment, you're doing it your way. You're sending out those little cards. You're forming those relationships. You're taking care of those families. And usually that does equate to achieving down the road, but it also is being true to yourself and feeling that sense of fulfillment while you're doing that and working towards that achievement. So I love that. That That's great. That That's a great way to kind of pull it all together. Okay. So you mentioned calming. All right. So I want to hear from you. How do you, do we actually have the ability to calm ourselves, especially when we're in this growth mentality? Yeah. So I think the, the first thing when you think about how do I sort of have a calmer existence, how do I do calmer work is this idea of what do I do to calm myself down that isn't actually who I want to be? Because I think we do a lot of things to manage our anxiety and the stress that kind of come back to to haunt us a little bit <laughs> in the long run. You know, if so, if your way of staying calm is to overfunction for your family, for your colleagues, for clients, like you know, and when I use the word overfunction, that means to be over responsible and do things for them, direct them, take over, try and control. Right? That might calm you down. But then that's what leads to burnout, right? right. That is what um, is a short-term solution causes long-term problems, right? Or another way a person might calm down is to avoid their work or to avoid having contact with people, you know, um, to email somebody when you really need to give them a, fo- a phone call, right? And that is a way of calming yourself down, but that is not most people's definition of doing good work. Um, or embodying some of those, you know, ideals and ideas that we just talked about. And so, you know, I think the first place you start is just to ask yourself, what do I usually do to calm myself down? And has, first of all, has that been effective? And does that represent the person I'm trying to be? You know, is there um, a better way or uh, a kinder way to myself that doesn't look like being responsible for everybody or being scared or intimidated or distant, right? I just give those two examples, but I think so much of what we do to stay calm and stable, it, you know, it, it's, it's really not that effective, if that makes sense. It actually makes total sense. And I think as women, I think a lot of times that is our reaction because we do jump into nurture and take care and make things better, right? Like all of a sudden we're jumping in to save the day and make everybody else feel better. And we think that's our sense of calm, but yet it causes a a ripple down the road. So I can totally appreciate that. And that does make sense. So what what should we be looking to do? Like, what is an example of a positive way to calm ourselves down in those situations? Well, to give you an example, I think, you know, I I work as a writer as well. And I, and I notice that when I get very anxious, I will overestimate, um, or I guess underestimate, no, overestimate, um, let me say this a different way. When an editor asks me for a deadline, I will tell them the date that I think that they want. 
So I will, I will lie to myself and to them and say, I can get this sooner to you than what is actually possible. Right. (laughs) And so in the short term, that calms me down because I think I have given them what they want. Right. And so that's me not being realistic about how much work I can accomplish in a week. Right. Uh, But that ends up making me much more anxious because (laughs) all of a sudden I have this deadline and 27,000 other things to do. Right. And I maybe don't do as good of a job. Um, So I have sort of sacrificed good work um, for that temporary calmness of making another person happy. You know, and I think that, you know, especially women, but I think a lot of people can relate to this, whatever their work is, is that there is this pressure um, to, to not be realistic about what we can get done in a day or in a week. If it's the pressure to calm down a client, to calm down a colleague, uh, we lose sight of that reality. I think that's one of the first things that happens. And so, you know, for me, there is that means I have to be temporarily uncomfortable and anxious with with the honesty saying, you know what, I can't get this to you by Monday. It's going to take a couple extra days. But in the long term, I actually end up being calmer because I have been honest with myself and with other people. But, you know, that's the catch. It's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable maybe to do what you normally wouldn't do because it might upset people. It might not be what they want. Uh, but over time, I think it it is better for your, your relationships um, with the people you work with and the people you work for to kind of lead with that, with that honesty. So that's just one example I think of, of. That is how- a great example. <laughs> that is a really, really good example, especially in our industry where we are so time focused, you know, everything is, if if it took you one second, it's longer than anybody wanted to wait. You know, everything is time generated and it's difficult. And you're right. We, we tend to, sure, we'll make that happen, you know, and you're right that that moment that you say that it feels good because you just, you give them exactly what they wanted to hear. But then the pressure's on and the anxiety is building and all of that is happening. So that actually is a very good example of, okay, setting proper expectations and maybe being uncomfortable with saying that at first, but in the long run, it keeps everything calmer and more attainable. So it does better work, right? So we know the work is going to be done at the right level. No, no errors. Everything is done properly and everyone has proper expectations. So great advice. Okay. So I'm curious, you know, I've seen that, especially, you know, this year, everybody's had numerous different levels of anxiety for many different reasons. But how important is it to have a community or a tribe to actually be able to have open conversations and realize that you're not the only one feeling this anxiety? Yeah, you know, I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think the more anxious we get, the more we pull back and distance ourselves. Because if we start to talk about our challenges it might make the other person anxious or they might start talking about theirs and that'll make us feel anxious. Right. So it's sort of this, um, we're kind of allergic to each other, the more worked up we get. And so then, you know, with the people we care about with our family or with colleagues, with other people, what tends to happen is we gravitate towards more superficial conversations, uh, or we just don't talk as much, um, or at all. Right. And so, To me, part of learning to calm down 
is learning to manage your own anxiety when you talk to people about anxious things Hmm. Um, and, and being able to share your thinking, to be able to be honest about what you're up against and how hard it is and letting other people have the opportunity to share that as well. Um, and it can be, it can be difficult to hear people talk about their challenges because I think for many of us, the instinct is to want to calm them down, to want to tell them what to do or to give advice or to say, you know what, I I can't handle this. It's making me too anxious. Right. And so just being in contact with people, but staying focused on, you know what, I'm responsible for myself, not for everybody else. Uh, so my, and I think about this a lot as a therapist, you know, if somebody comes to, I'm working with them and they're very worked up and anxious, and I'm sure you all work with lots of anxious people. We have a lot of anxious people. People are, (laughs) yeah, people are are anxious and and excited and worried and all those emotions. Right. And so off, you know, we gravitate towards reassuring them, taking responsibility for their anxiety. And I think we forget that if you're able to stay calm and thoughtful, that is so much more helpful to a person than you trying to take over and manage their their distress. And so I think we forget how much power is in that and that um, people respond to it, that it is just as the calmness is just as contagious uh, as the stress. And so and that and I have much more control over myself than somebody else's emotions and so I think, you know, when you're, you're reaching out, you know, to your tribe, as you say, or to, to a community of people, just to remember that you're, you know, unless it's your kid, like you're only responsible for yourself. Um, and that the way to be a resource to people is just to calm down. And who doesn't love a calm person? <laughs> Listen, that your, your advice is spot on and I love it, but I, I'm seeing just, just from what I've witnessed over the last so many months, you're a hundred percent correct people withdraw, right? People, their, their automatic is, okay, I'm going to stay away from that person because there's too much drama, right? There's too much drama going on over there. I can't deal with their drama because their drama will make me have a higher level of anxiety. Um, how do you keep yourself calm when this person, whoever, you know, whatever people are just coming at you with this burden of of drama you know how do you keep yourself thinking calmly when that's coming at you what's a good exercise for that sure well there are a couple of things i do you know one thing i do is i i kind of scale it i say on a scale of 1 to 100 how intense does this person feel you know <laughs> and if they're an 80 can i be a 70 you know, you don't have to shoot super high, but just say, let me make sure I'm a, at least a little bit calmer than the person like engaging me, you know. And the other thing I try and remember is, you know, and I do this a lot, obviously, as a therapist, but just to keep asking questions, you know, because I think we gravitate towards, mm-hmm. well, have you tried this or um, giving advice, right? Instead of saying, oh, that's tough. What do you, what do you think you're going to do? Um, you know, or just getting more details from the person and that if you're able to maybe engage a little bit of curiosity, uh, I think it's easier to do if it's somebody you care about, somebody whose life you're invested in, um, you help them do their thinking. You know, to me, it's like when we're anxious, we use this back part of the brain that's very old. That's the fight or flight, right? The whole reptilian. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, but when we use the front part of our brain, that's the thinking, the problem solving. And if you start using this part, it is much easier for the other person to start using it as well. 
And maybe they might get a little bit interested as well. Maybe they start thinking and they're just not sort of word vomiting their anxiety. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly um, what I was picturing yeah. when I was describing it. Yes. And, and, and like, that really is great advice. It, the questions mm-hmm. that that's a wonderful way to look at it because I mean, I've known even myself, if, if we're in a very difficult situation, the more time you spend asking questions and having that dialogue, you almost can feel yourself have a level of calm. You mm-hmm. you almost can feel it go- coming down, right? Because the more you're speaking about it, because you're not feeding into the anxiety. The mm-hmm. next thing you know, and it's what you just said, you start using a different part of your brain. All of a sudden, now you're using logic and you're being analytical and you're thinking about your responses to the answers to these questions. And it really does start to bring it down. So I think that's fabulous advice to be able to to calm people because you're not you're right. Our initial reaction. How do I help? How do I fix this? How do I give them advice that is going to be phenomenal? That's going to make them feel better. Actually, or how do I get away from you as quickly as possible? <laughs> that too. That too. How do I get off the phone yeah. or get out of here? That is exactly right. Okay. So so that's good. Spot on. Love it. All right. Now in your book, you mentioned that before you can change anxious behaviors, you have to know what they are so you can observe, evaluate, and interrupt what's automatic. Explain this. Yeah. So I think um, so often we get frustrated and we want to jump in and just react differently in our families and our work. And that's so hard to do because, you know, our reactions to stress and anxiety work to like we talked about earlier to a degree. Right. They're very um, locked in and innate and we shouldn't beat ourselves up for them. You know, and I think if you come at it from a self-critical place, it's very hard to do anything differently. So if you can kind of approach yourself and say, well, let me look at myself like I'm a researcher, you know, or uh, an anthropologist or a, a biologist watching some animal in the wild, right? <laughs> and can I get curious, you know, when I talk to a family member, when I talk to a colleague or a client and see what I do? And then that's the observing, right? And and then can I evaluate it? Can I say, you know, does me always taking over, has it been effective? Um, you know, do, does it get the outcome I want? If the outcome is I want people to be more responsible and step up, then probably not, right? right? That just makes them more helpless. Um, you know, does it make me calm down? Yeah, well, temporarily, but then I get really worked up about it. You know, that's that evaluating and asking yourself, well, who is the person I'd like to be? And and that usually looks like, well, I'd like to be a person who lets other people be responsible for themselves, <laughs> who doesn't always jump in and take over, you know, somebody who can sit and watch people maybe be, do something a little bit less efficiently or more slowly than I would, but mm. that's okay, right? And that that's the evaluating. And then the interrupting is, can you look for opportunities to do that? You know, when you're, I always give this example, but like when your spouse is loading the dishwasher the wrong way, can you just let them do it that way if it's not a big deal, right? Um, or if two people are having a conversation and and are are kind of having a little bit of conflict, maybe letting them work that out without jumping in and mediating, you know. Uh, and that's the uncomfortable part, right? To not do what you would normally do. Uh, but I think people, you know, they want to skip to the interrupting. They just want to show up to work or to Thanksgiving and be this totally new person. And it doesn't it doesn't happen that way. It takes a lot of paying attention 
Um, and, and not beating yourself up for doing those kind of automatic behaviors. Yeah. That, that definitely takes work to get to that point, but (laughs) it's a lifetime. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. That's right. You're never finished. You're never finished with that work. Absolutely. And that goes back to that in right on the inside and not so much just the achievements. And it's interesting, you know, I, I mentor a young lady and we were just having a conversation this week and she was speaking about this whole getting, you know, literally like a high, right? She gets a high when she achieves something. And I said, you know, that you're on a path that you have to be very careful because you'll always be searching for that next achievement and that next achievement. And it gets to that point that you almost feel like a failure if you're not getting that next achievement. So what is the best way to handle that? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to that, you know, I talked about curiosity, you know, yeah. to to think about, you know, in your work, what what drives you? What is interesting about the work? Uh, what would you care about even if nobody praised you or right. acknowledged you for it? You know, sort of what is intuitively interesting or what are you curious about? And it, and and also how do you evaluate yourself in a way that's independent from other people's reactions? Hmm. I mean, feedback is great. It's, it's very important. But you also can evaluate yourself. Uh, pretty, pretty objectively if you give it some practice, you know, so can you end the day? Can you end the week and and say, what did I do? Well, what needs some work, you know, without being too hard on yourself without sugarcoating it either. Um, And I think that that sort of internal compass, the more you can kind of strengthen that um, it, you will still feel good when people praise you and you will still feel bad when people criticize you. But like I said, the highs and the lows aren't as steep and you won't, you won't need that. Um, you won't be kind of chasing that drug of uh, approval right. as much. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that takes time, but people see, seem to do more satisfying work and they enjoy their work more when they just stick with that internal piece. Um, cause the other stuff is just kind of icing on the, the cake. It's not the whole cake. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's not, you're not getting the sugar high. You don't need yeah. the sugar high. There you go. <laughs> All right. So the other thing is, you know, speaking of that and approval, social media, I'm curious of, you know, this whole, you know, people getting caught up, especially now, you know, where people are isolated, you know, they're not necessarily out inter- in- interacting personally, you know, they're spending more time at home and on social media. And I've seen a lot of people struggle with this not feeling worthy, so to speak, because maybe the highlight reels from some other people make it appear that, wow, you know, how can I compare to this? How can I, what are your thoughts on how to not feel that way and how, you know, what's the best way to approach that for someone that's struggling with that? Yeah. You know, I think people are more likely to feel left out or jealous when they don't have those strong one-to-one relationships with friends, with colleagues. You know, I think, I just think from personal experiences, you know, it's much harder for me to be jealous of a colleague when I'm in conversation with them and we're sharing our challenges with each other. And I know the reality of their life. Right. But it's very easy to to be jealous of someone if I'm just seeing the highlight reel. Right. And so I think that's why it's so important uh, to use times like this, even though if we can't see each other in person to to strengthen those one to one 
relationships and check in with people and talk to people about things that aren't just superficial. And I think that that is, it's great with friends and family, but it's also, it's also great with your work. Um, because I think that that helps you, your brain, you know, when we miss information, our brain fills in the picture Mm. and it's not usually accurate. (laughs) It tends to skew very negative, very positive, right? That's sort of it filling in the what ifs. Um, and so how do you, how do you counter that? Well, you counter it with actual information. It requires you to talk to people and see how they're doing and what they're doing and what they think they've done well and what they think their challenges are. And that fills in the pieces so that your imagination doesn't run wild and start saying things like, you're not working as hard as everyone else. Um, This was so much easier for them. Why is it so hard for you? Right. Sort of the lies that our brain, our anxiety likes to tell, Um, you know, that to me, that's the, the only way is to just be in conversation with people. Yeah, I think you're correct. And it is so interesting how that happens, right? The minute that there's a moment of open time, people fill it with whatever. I guess it's almost like a a protective mode, right? And maybe is it like defensive or something where our mind goes there? I don't know. But it is true that the minute there's open space, that's when people jump to conclusion and they fill it with something else. So that's a good point. And I think you're right. I think a lot of things that you just spoke about, having those true relationships, not superficial, not just, you know, going on the the things that don't really matter, the actual discussions I think that would probably be the biggest recommendation right now, because the more time we spend building those and sharing those relationships, I think that does everyone a world of good. So would that be like if you're going to give a recommendation, especially during this time where there is heightened anxiety, would that be the best recommendation for people? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's sometimes called just having a person to person relationship and to ask yourself, you know, who in my family, uh, family especially, you know, who at my work do I not really have a person to person relationship with? And that could be important for me. You know, it tends to be people we always find out about them through a third party, right? So you don't have to talk to them face to face because another relative or another colleague will always tell you how they're doing, right? right? And that kind of, keeps you from really kind of getting to know them and talking with them. Um, and I think the the more you have, a, the more people you have a person-to-person relationship, the much harder it is to see them as a villain or to be jealous of them or um, to be reactive towards them because you have more, like we said, more pieces of the, the picture. It's easier to see them as, as human. And I think that that, um, that helps you be easier on yourself, but it also helps you have a, str- a stronger relationship. That's wonderful. It's like reading an email. And when you read an email, you kind of put your own voice to it. Mm-hmm. And however you're seeing the world at that moment, that's how you read the email. So it's so interesting that, you know, if something not so good just happened and you read it, you read it in that tone. But then maybe you just hung up a lovely phone call and then you, you're like, oh, that's a happy email. So it's so interesting how our minds can do that. But yet having that conversation or doing a video call, it changes everything. It's clear. It's, it's humanized. All of a sudden it's personal. So it makes a big difference. And you had mentioned that, you know, don't, don't send, oh, I'm afraid to have this conversation. I'll just shoot the email. Because that is when you need to have those conversations. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that is one of the challenges with a lot of people working from home is yeah. they don't have that contact. And so it's much easier for people to imagine that their supervisors, their clients, their yeah. colleagues are upset with them or they we project all of these emotions onto onto an email or, you know, a text or whatever. Um, and so that's why that that face to face or at least a phone call is so important. Absolutely. And keeping our teams connected. You know, it's been so hard that, like you said, so many of us are now working from home and it's hard that that's that empty piece of time. You know, there's people out there that are jumping to conclusion. Oh, you know, my boss didn't call me today. Oh, they must be mad. You know, I must have done something wrong. And yeah, so that human connection, again, it's, it's vital in so many different ways. Absolutely. Kathleen, you, you have given such wonderful advice. This has oh, been you. absolutely amazing. So I want two things. So one, I want to have you share how people can find your book, give all your information out there so people can follow you and learn more. And then secondly, if there is anything else that we missed that you just want to share with the audience as a piece of advice or a parting word. Sure. Yeah. So my book, I'll hold it up. I've got it. It's easier to just show it. I know not some people are listening. It's called Everything Isn't Terrible, Conquer Your Insecurities, Interrupt Your Anxiety, and Finally Calm Down. And uh, I also write a weekly newsletter, which is called The Anxious Overachiever. And people can subscribe to that on my website, which is KathleenSmith.net. Um, you know, I think we covered so much today. The, 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 the parting thought that I always have for people when it comes to, to anxiety, to burnout, you know, is to recognize that our behaviors are adaptive and we do them for a reason. They are not a sign of flaws or, <laughs> um, or um, being less than, right? Uh, it's our sort of task at, as humans to kind of pay attention to them and ask ourselves, is there a different way of functioning, right? And that's how we slowly grow up over time. So I think the more patience, the more curiosity you can bring to your day-to-day life, I think the better chance you have of of maybe not just shifting to what's what's automatic for you um, when you get stressed out. So just to go easy on yourself and to, to recognize that it that it happens slowly, but even small changes can make a, a pretty huge difference. So give yourself some grace. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. You have been wonderful. We wish you all the best. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Positively Charged Biz. I'm Laura Brandeo, and we are here to motivate, inspire, and support our listeners as they write their life stories. If you have an inspiring story, please email me at laura at positivelycharged.biz. And remember to subscribe to hear more great guests. And connect to us on Facebook at Positively Charged and Instagram at Positively Charged Podcast. Until next time, we wish you a positive day.